with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you, carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make the preparation for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. While they were eating, he took bread said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many, Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then, after singing a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a great French writer whose name I have mentioned at least once, perhaps several times before, by the name of Léon Blois. He was an author, pamphleteer, poet. He was a convert to the faith and a fierce defender of the church. He is best known for the phrase, you will remember it, the only real failure, the only real sadness, the only great tragedy in life is not to be a saint. He said something else, too. One step beyond mediocrity, and we are saved. But there's something else he said that seldom is ever heard. He, referring to his own age, he could see in France that she was losing the faith becoming hostile to the church. She was becoming secularized, along with the rest of Europe. He died in 1917. It's true of all, I think, Western culture today. He referred to the absence of God. And he said, God is absent in the towns, the countryside, law, manners, art. He is absent even 
in the life of religion in the sense that those who still wish to be his friends do not need his presence. It's a rather telling statement, isn't it? Those who still wish to be his friends do not need his presence. In other words, you're my friend, but I will give you no time. I don't really need to be with you. You will simply remain my friend in some way. I will acknowledge your existence. I will even say that I love you, but I don't need to be with you. What kind of friendship is that? Can you imagine a friend, someone you love, with whom you don't wish to be? It's fine to exchange letters or read letters that are written, to email even today, to call on the phone even. But simply to remember you, to have your presence in the spirit, that's not enough. I want to be with you. And so it is with the Lord. He wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him. You know, our Lord did something so unthinkable that much of the world today, even when they read about it, tend to brush it aside. In today's gospel, we have the event of the Last Supper. First, our Lord tells them how to prepare for it. He sends two of his disciples, only two. The rest won't know until it's time. And most of all, Judas is not to know. He will not interrupt the Eucharist because he won't know where it's going to be. He knows where they're going afterwards, but not for the supper itself. And so they prepare. It's a Passover meal in which the Jews recalled, not only recalled, but made present the original Passover. That's an important concept. I mentioned this before. The Jewish idea of history is different than ours in this sense. When they celebrated the Passover, they were present for it. The angel of death was passing over their houses because the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and on the lintel. They celebrated their freedom from slavery. They celebrated their going to the promised land. They went from slavery to freedom. Our Lord now takes that and transforms it into something beyond simply the natural. It is not simply going from slavery to the promised land. It's going from sin and death into life and grace. And it will happen because the lamb will now be slaughtered, will now be sacrificed. Not the paschal lamb whose blood was shed by the thousands and hundreds of thousands year after year after year, but his blood. He will do that now. He will make it present He will, at the Last Supper, make present what he is about to do reflexively. And so he does. He does what he promised them he would do in the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, the Bread of Life Discourse. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him. I will raise him up on the last day. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. 
He's insistent upon that four times. And now he does what he's promised him he would do. This is my blood of the covenant. The only New Testament in Scripture is the Eucharist. Our Lord never told his apostles to write a book. He told them to make him present. That's the New Testament in the New Testament. It's it's the Eucharist. This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. And only then does he go out to his death. So he gives us then this great reality. So that his suffering and death, which can happen only once and is over and done with and is finished, transcends time. And every time we celebrate the Eucharist, that event becomes present here and now, really, in his risen body and blood, as he has given it to us. Again, he wants us to be present to him, and he wants to be present to us. That's how much he loves us. And so we then have an experience that goes beyond simply memory, but comes to reality. Shortly we will carry the Lord around our property. Most of the city won't know or care that we are doing this, that God has come to earth, that God is transforming their world, and yet it will. We are transforming our world by what we do. So he comes to us in this wonderful way. You know, Cardinal Newman had a prayer that he would say after communion, a prayer that we can say almost any time, because the first thing the Eucharist does is transform us. That's the first thing it does. Transforms you and me into something we cannot otherwise be on our own. The Lord cannot come into us without transforming us. I've mentioned many times Moses. Remember Moses going into the meeting tent? When he came out, his face would shine. The Israelites were afraid to to approach him. He put a veil over his face when he came out. We are told in Scripture that Moses wished not that his face did shine. Well, we come for the same thing to be transformed and to be visible signs of what we receive. But after that, then we must be visible signs to the world of who, in fact, has transformed us. So first, it must transform us, and then we must take it with us. What What Cardinal Newman said, blessed John Henry Newman, was, he said, Dear Jesus, Help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Flood our souls with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess our whole being so utterly that our lives are only a radiance of yours. Shine through us. And be so in us that every soul we come in contact with may feel your presence in our soul. Stay with us. And be so in us 
that our you may shine through us as your light. A light, O Jesus. that will so shine that others may see you in us. Let them look up and see no longer us, but only Jesus. That's the power of the Eucharist. That's what the Eucharist can do. If only we will open ourselves up to it, If only we will let that happen, we can be that light. We can be that transforming power. May we accept that and be what the Lord has called us to be. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you rejoicing in the redemptive love of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, strengthened by the Eucharist, she will always be a visible sign of Jesus Christ, especially the church suffering, we pray to the Lord. (laughs) For all nations of the world, especially our own, that they may come to know the Lord and his body and blood present among them, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all those who are sick and suffering, that in their suffering they may be strengthened and united to the Lord. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have left the Eucharist, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For a greater respect for human life, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who strengthened by the Eucharist may be visible signs of it. For greater reverence, For the witness of the Eucharist in marriage and a single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, having been made holy through the presence of the Eucharist in their lives, they may then be a radiance of that life to others, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, For all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that our lives will be so transformed by having been in the presence of the Eucharist and, if possible, received him, that the world will see him visible in us. We pray to the Lord. Lord, And today, once again, instead of the antiphon of the Blessed Mother, it would seem appropriate to sing the Christus Vincit. <laughs> 